0: Welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. As you could tell, I am not Christy Mayer. She is still away, ferreting away in PhD land, trying to get her dissertation over the line. So I'm filling in for her today. But as ever, Andy Bannister is in the co-pilot seat. Good afternoon, Andy. How are you?
1: I am doing. Uh, I'm doing great. I, I was amused by you stumbling over the word co-pilot
0: there. That was, <laughs> was, that was almost a bit of a road crash. It, yeah, but, it was. It was indeed. However, we've got a great guest this I afternoon. Do. We are joined from somewhere in the southeast of England by Justin Briley. Justin, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm. I'm
2: so pleased as well. Andy's got his mic facing the right way around on this occasion um, because the, the last time I joined Andy for for a recording, there, there was a little bit of a technical hiccup where where he had it facing the wrong way. But but uh, so it's it's that your your slight stumble at the beginning it was as nothing compared to. No, no uh, it,
1: exactly i just used the version therapy after that I, <laughs> I, I i turned the mic various ways and got my wife to hit me with a baseball bat every time it was the wrong way and now now that's that 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 solved it and the doctors say the, the concussion will will pass but Good. it's great to have you on the on the show justin and of course it'd be fun because obviously you're used to being the other way around right you're used to being the one asking mm, the questions indeed uh, of uh, of people and now we get yeah. to ask you um, well I, i'm looking questions.
2: forward to being grilled by you andy um And I got to say, actually, this is one of the podcasts that I've kind of been most anticipating. This is actually the hardest one for me to do. It's easy for me to talk about big ideas because I kind of have been doing that for years, but actually practical implications of how you ground those ideas. That's actually where the rubber hits the road. So I'm Mm. I'm sort of, we'll see how I do
0: put it that way. <laughs> and the context of this interview, of course, is that you, you've got a new book out entitled The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, which, which is quite an inspiring title, and, and also the, the subtitle, Why New Atheism Grew Old and Secular Thinkers Are Considering Christianity Again. Great, great title. And you're talking to us about sharing the Christian faith in the, in the context of a moving cultural conversation. Mm. Could you just give us a little bit of the background before we plunge into the practicality Tell us about the kind of the the, the the background, the backdrop on which you're painting, of where the questions are going. Well,
2: what I noticed uh, after a number of years of hosting conversations between Christians and atheists uh, for nearly two decades on Unbelievable was that what started out as these very uh, abrasive, combative debates between new atheists and Christian thinkers turned into, in the last several years, a, a far more nuanced conversation between still secular thinkers. But people who were often not simply dismissing religion out of hand, who were acknowledging the fact that it had had a profound influence, often positive, on our culture, and asking whether we can even live without something like a religious story, um, and seeing that shift away from that new atheist rhetoric towards a kind of a, yeah, just a different conversation about God from secular quarters, made me wonder: is there something to, that's going on here in our culture? And I and I, and I think it has been. Um, and I outlined the way in which that conversation has changed in the book. The way in which many secular thinkers nowadays are taking religion more seriously—people like Jordan Peterson, Douglas Murray, Tom Holland, uh, Ian McGilchrist, uh, and, and a variety of others—who are in various different spheres of, you know, psychology and science and culture, asking, can we live without Christianity? Especially in a world where, you know, people seem to be searching for stories to live by, but are often, you know, seeming to make a bit of a hash of it when it comes to the culture wars. And on top of that, I was noticing interesting stories of adult conversions to faith, um, people who are surprisingly, you know, turning towards Christ. uh, And apparently because the atheist materialist story didn't stack up in the end for them. Hmm. So I just felt like all of this, you know, made sense to kind of ask, well, what does this mean potentially for our culture, for the church, for the way Christians ought to be thinking about and interacting with things because things do move on. And sometimes we can be answering yesterday's questions when actually there's a new a new mm. movement going on under, under our nose. So yeah. that's really what the book's all about.
1: Let's just pick up on that uh, for a moment, um, Justin, because I think one of the things I still hear in some parts of the church, I think some Christians are still operating under that assumption that the world is very atheistic, it's very secular, it's very hostile that if I go out there and, and try and talk about my faith with my friends and neighbors and colleagues, I'm going to get new atheism you know with both barrels um, Now let's not be naive there is some of that still around, but that's the landscape has changed. you've just described that a bit, so maybe flesh that out a little bit what yeah. what happened Because the new atheism sort of gave the impression 15, 20 years ago it was all over yeah. for religion. Um, but they got that story wrong. What, what's what gone on?
2: Well, I think what's happened is that the new atheism itself sort of started to experience a number of fractures and it imploded really under its own weight eventually. Um, what had started as a very kind of dogmatic, brave movement claiming that it had the solution for all of society's ills, it turned out that once the key architects of that movement had agreed that God didn't exist and religion was bad for you, they, they'd couldn't really agree on anything else. They had this, um, a lot of, uh, internal dissension and fallouts to the point where, uh, you know, many of the key leaders wouldn't share a stage with each other any longer. Um, you know, the atheist conferences that had once, you know, been so popular, they couldn't put them on because people, you know, weren't agreeing to, to share a stage. Uh, there were all kinds of controversies, um, claims of misogynism, um, claims of, you know, bigotry and, and all sorts of things that that eventually led to the, movement itself kind of tearing itself apart. Um, I mean, one one commentator said that the, the ire that the atheists uh, sort of had for one another in the end sort of dwarfed anything they had for their, their Christian counterparts. So it was just interesting to be on the sidelines, watching that all happen kind of in real time. Now, as you say, Andy, it's not that new atheism has disappeared. It's just that um, it's, it's no longer the kind of mainstream cultural force that it was, you know, where you were sort of having these figures writing op-eds for major newspapers about why religion's bad for you. It's no longer on the bestseller charts. In fact, all of the, if there are any kind of those new atheists still writing and speaking and doing things, they're not talking about religion anymore. That seems to have completely no longer be their focus. Uh, primarily, they're yeah. on one side or the other in the culture wars now. And a lot of that is what I noticed happening in the last several years was that a number of these characters realized actually religion isn't that much of an enemy as we thought it was. In fact, we're probably more bedfellows with some of these folks than some of the new kind of quasi-religious movements that they were seeing potentially impinging on academic freedom and that kind of thing, which was coming more from you know the progressive left or even you know the, the far right. There were sort of aspects of that that were actually becoming more worrying. To some of these new atheists than than any kind of religious dogmatism had been in the past. So that's really where the energy went from the whole movement. And to me, it's indicative of the fact that um, you can kind of try and, you know, get religion to die. You can sort of try and persuade people out of their religious beliefs, but it it pops back up in some form or another. And it just pops back up in another form, which suddenly they realize they, you know, was was actually potentially far more pernicious than the one they were
0: used to. Mm, Interesting. Well, how much do you think these kind of high-level academics uh, debates are trickling down to the shops and the offices and the neighbourhoods in the country? Or how much do you think the debate and the ground is still sort of 20 years out of date? Because, I mean, a lot of people are not reading Tom Holland and Doug Murray and these people that you've mentioned. Is the debate on the ground catching up with this, or is it still… It's locked in a kind of a a new atheist sort of mindset.
2: Yeah, I I think there's always a delay in a sense, that that trickle down isn't there. And so on the ground, I think you will still find a lot of that new atheist rhetoric doing the rounds, you know, among people who Mm -hmm. kind of are still living in that paradigm. However, having said that, um, it's interesting to me that, you know, these are actually quite popular level movements themselves. Um, Some of these people who are speaking, you know, Jordan Peterson filling out auditoriums to tell people about you know the jungian significance of genesis or something it's 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 actually everyday people who are there it's not just academics and philosophers who are turning out for these things so for me it it does have that that sort of everyday thing and it's and i think it's because one of the failures of again of the new atheism that i sort of say in the book is that that it 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 really didn't actually answer people's fundamental questions about how to live a flourishing life um, it gave them science and reason, but those are completely inadequate for giving you a kind of roadmap for how you get meaning, purpose, and value out of life. And to that extent, people started turning away from that, that, those mantras and started to turn to people who seemed to at least have a bit more to offer people like Jordan Peterson, who seemed to be saying, well, look, here's a way you, you might think about living your life. And here's some ancient wisdom that might help you to do that in a, in a helpful way. And and to that extent, I think that has been been a popular level movement. And I do encounter people all the time who are familiar with some of these people and some of their ideas, and are saying now, well, I used to, you know, I didn't ever really give much credence to religion, but actually, you know, listening to some of these guys, it's, it's made me it's made me reconsider the whole thing. And I'm not I'm not a particularly a religious person, but i you know i can see why people might turn to religion uh and and that it's not all bad actually so those mm. are the kinds of conversations that i'm bumping into more and more at a at a ground level in mm. that sense
1: yeah it's interesting i mean even some of the old new atheist dinosaurs i find fascinating like dawkins the other day you know pops up on the trigonometry podcast for those who are familiar with that and yes he's still in atheist mode but it's quite a different yeah. atheist mode totally. than it was a few years ago um But one thing I'd love to ask you to unpack a little bit there, Justin. You referred to some of the questions that the new atheism didn't didn't answer, and I think it became increasingly apparent it didn't answer. Do you want to unpack some of those? So people who've so that's that's an idea they're unfamiliar with. What are some of the the really big questions of life that people are wrestling with that are pretty universally, I think, wrestled with that the the atheism failed to engage with, and people are looking elsewhere for? Because I think if Christians we can be aware of those, that can help us be more. You know wise in some of the ways that we engage yeah. with the questions our friends are asking, so what are some of those those questions yeah. of life in your experience
2: well it, it will vary for each individual, but I think they it fundamentally comes back to common themes basically what what am I here for you know is is one of the most you know common ones i think who am I supposed to be? the question of identity as well is is a key one for most people and and I think that's that's uh the problem with the new atheism was that because it it Basically, told people, "Well, in the end, you are a sort of DNA propagating itself in an otherwise meaningless void," Um, because that was actually the message that was underneath. It, It sometimes got allied with a kind of sunny optimism of humanism, kind of message. Oh, look at the wonder of the stars, and isn't it nice to think that you're part of this, you know, grand thing? But, but it was also telling them at the same time, by the way you live in a completely determined universe in which every thought, feeling and value you've ever had was always going to be the way it was because you are just one more part of a completely material, non-rational process. It's hard when you've got both of these messages, you know, isn't isn't life wonderful and you're just part of a meaningless machine. To kind of, um, I, I think that creates a kind of an internal incoherence for most people. And, and I think um, when you kind of put that into then, A postmodern culture where we're all expected to make our own stories, our own identities—it—it creates a kind of intolerable burden actually on people. It's exhausting living in this kind of a world where we have to invent ourselves from scratch and make meaning in an otherwise meaningless universe. And I think that's why the new atheism ultimately didn't answer those kinds of questions. Science and reason wasn't alone enough alone, as I say, to to kind of give people that sense of who am I, what's my purpose in life. Um, it, it's great if you're a best-selling atheist author, that might give you a great purpose in life. But if you're actually just someone who's kind of in a fairly mundane job uh and you know, has difficult relationships and everything else, it, it won't actually sustain you for that long. Um and so I think that's why there was this turn away from the kind of, I would say simplistic kind of rhetoric of the new atheist towards this this more kind of um interesting and deeper kind of sense of, well, may, maybe there is something in this ancient wisdom that people have benefited from for thousands of years, that is kind of the, mm. the stock in trade of a number of the more, more recent secular thinkers who, who aren't dismissing religion. Um, now, whether they have the answers is another question. I don't think they do have the full answers, but I think they're asking mm. better questions and, and kind of offering something closer to, to more interesting answers.
0: And so for these sorts of people that we're coming across, intellectuals or otherwise, who are saying we need a better story to live by, that the, the kind of secularism is not providing that story, providing meaning, purpose, and all, all the other things for life, But so many of them seem to think that Christianity is what we need – because it provides a story for us to live by, but few of them seem to be saying, Jesus is who I need, and talking about personal conversion. And if there's lots of person, people in that kind of category who want a story to live by, who want meaning and purpose and value, and think, well, Christianity is a reasonable story, how can we encourage them to actually see Jesus himself and move towards saying, I need Christ, not just, we need the Christian story? Yeah.
2: I, and I think this is a key distinction, is that a lot of the those thinkers are still in that kind of religion is a useful fiction kind of mode which is basically mm. yeah and and they quite often sort of handily exempt themselves from needing this they they they've sort of seen through it and great if other people want to be religious i'm not going to stop them because i think it's generally a good thing but of course i i couldn't possibly do that myself because i've i'm sort of a little bit too you know intellectual for that um what's interesting is i do see quite intellectual people actually making that leap and sort of actually saying actually no i think i need the whole thing not just the kind of uh the the nice after effects of christendom um if if it's going to make a difference and i think there's a lot of those even those intellectual thinkers who haven't embraced christianity or christ who who understand that you can only keep going on the you know the fumes of of the people who did believe for so long before the thing starts to crumble and and to that extent I, I think it is time absolutely for the church to be both reminding people of our Christian heritage and why why this story has sustained people for so long at some kind of psychological and storytelling level, but also to say, and here's some good news, it's true as well. It, it really is the truth and we've got some really good reasons for believing it's true. Mm. And and that for me is the exciting moment when the kind of, you know, uh, the way, the way I put it in the book is, Perhaps the first task of the church these days in apologetics is to show people why they want this story to be true, mm. that this is where their hearts are inclined, that this is kind of, that they they see that this story, if it were true, would make sense of them. And then once you've kind of shown them that, then to show them, well, handily it is true. So there doesn't have to be this disjunct between what you would like to be true and what actually is true. You know, it's it's that old C.S. Lewis thing. He When he converted, he says... When he where he he initially had this conversion to from atheism to sort of theism, and it would kind of answered an intellectual question for him about you know morality, but he said he still lived with these two spheres of his mind, one which was enlivened by imagination and mythology and storytelling, and the other that was the reality, and it was just this drab material universe that we lived in and he said it was only when Jesus put those two things together mm. that he suddenly could be a fulfilled person because he realized. Yeah. You know, all of that imaginative stuff that, you know, made sense of everything came true in a real person, Jesus Christ. So it, it's 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 that journey that I think we kind of now need to start encouraging the thinkers to go on and the people who are following these thinkers to go on.
1: Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I was thinking of of Lewis as you as you talked there before you mentioned him, Justin. And the other, of course, the other quote that's been oft used that springs to mind is, is Blaise Pascal's. You know, oft quoted line about you know preach the gospel in such a way that, that good people, he said, good men, but obviously we'll, we'll we'll make it more inclusive. Good people wish that it were true, and then and then show that it is. And the danger sometimes, as Christians, we jump to the showing that it is mm. before we've drawn people in, which leads me to perhaps some um, you know penultimate question, and then probably one more from my partner in crime over there before we uh, have a wrap. So obviously we want to make pep talk is practical and you joked at the start that you're not, but you are practical. You know, you're very grounded in church ministry. Your wife is a, is a pastor and you're very involved in the, in the church there. So all the stuff that you've shared, how should this affect how we think about evangelism today for church leaders listening to this of whom we have many, um, what, what would be some advice you might give them about how you take, take some of what you've discovered and uncovered in the book, and then let that flow into the, the way mm-hmm. that we're reaching out. Are there some lessons for the church yeah uh, yeah,
2: I, I think there are, and, and I think it is about probably for a lot of people that they're, they're not necessarily these days asking, "Does God exist? That's probably not where your conversation is necessarily going to start. It, it might have been a bit more that way when the new atheists were sort of prompting people to ask those, those kind of basic questions. Um, people are much more likely though to, to be starting from a place where they're, they're somewhat uninterested in that question. But they may be very invested in in certain social issues, justice issues, equality issues, and so on. And so, I think inevitably you do have to start where people are and and engage them with that passion that they have, and show them why, as we were just saying, that that itself is a pointer towards a bigger story that, that the story they're currently living in doesn't can't really make sense of of that that in that passion that that sort of instinct towards justice and everything else, and. and and i think we've you know got a lot of interesting ways in which we can do that these days because there are some of these people who are you know uh, of, of interest publicly you know the, the jordan petersons and the tom hollands and so on who are saying interesting things around this stuff we've got some yeah some some uh, common things that we can point people to some some popular uh, icons that we could sort of maybe use as those sorts of conversation starters and then beyond that i think it's it it's about doing that thing of the reason in the imagination. It's it's taking people on a journey that doesn't just say, well, let me give you five reasons why Jesus rose from the dead, but where we do kind of help them to imagine what a universe looks like where there is the possibility of um new creation, a new start, resurrection, and and why we talk about that all the time, you know, in our movies and films and art and, and that kind of thing. It's. I guess it's just starting from a point of view where you can hopefully introduce people from the desire for it to be true to actually talking mm. about some of it. And then inevitably, it's going to be different for different people. But like I, I had a co- really great conversation with someone at a wedding just on Saturday gone, um, who's obviously something of a deep thinker himself. But when we got into it, you know, he he was fascinated to kind of hear about some of the sort of the evidences for Christianity and for for God and things that he hadn't sort of necessarily considered himself. I think there still is, you know, a certain number of people out there who who want that kind of who who are open to it once you've kind of given them uh, you know, some kind of reason for why they might want to take religion seriously again, that you can can start having those kinds of conversations with and, and quite fruitful ones.
0: Marvellous. Thank you so much for sending me a copy of the book. I thought it was an absolutely rip-roaring read. I, c- I couldn't put it down. There's so many insights into culture and debate and where things are going and some brilliant stories woven through it. It's a terrific read. So the obvious question to end with is how can people get their hands on a copy and when is it published?
2: Well, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God uh, is going to be published in September. Um, but you can pre-order a copy right now via my website is a great place to do it. So that's at justinbriley.com and just click on the page for the book and, uh, and you'll find the ways to do that. I'm um, also going to be launching a, a podcast uh, that's based on the book as well uh, soon. So look out for that. That'll be called, again, like the book, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. But yeah, I'm um, looking forward to, to what people make of the book and the podcast as it launches
1: fantastic well we'll put a link to uh to the website again in the show notes for folks who, who didn't catch it but it's fairly easy because it's has uh, got your name in there and you're also all over social media so people can find you there too as well, right? So, Justin, it's been a, a privilege to have you uh, on the show. Thank you for taking the time. Wish you all the best uh, with the book and just uh, yeah second Gavin's uh, review of it. I found it absolutely fascinating, exciting, and encouraging and stimulating. So, really encourage people to give it a go. Thanks again for being with us. And uh, Gavin and I will be back in a couple of weeks' time uh, with another guest and another episode of Pep Talk. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.